I don't know if you guys read the life of or the lives of great saints, but uh, Mary's going through some devotionals right now, and at the end of every devotional, they'll talk about one of the saints and what they did, and you know. And I'm always jealous of these people. These people who can sit in the presence of Christ uh, for hours on end. I was reading about a nun named Hildegard von Bingen from the 1100s in Germany and about the miraculous visions that she would have of, of Jesus. And there was written down, and the Pope got in on the act, and she's been elevated to a doctor in the Catholic Church. There's some people who can read the Bible voraciously just over and over and over again and really just soak up so much out of it. And frankly, it, for me, it's a discipline. I, I have to make a point to read the Bible a little bit every day. And I just wish I was one of those people who could sit down and just, you know, oh, where did three hours go? I was reading the book of Leviticus. That was amazing. About a year ago, I came back from sabbatical, and if you were around then, I told you about my attempts to become a Christian mystic. I, <laughs> so I would have these devotions every day. I would try to read. I read through all the, all the prophets in the Old Testament. I read a couple books, uh, one by Dallas Willard, uh, one by this Irish monk on meditative prayer. And so I decided to join this meditation, Christian meditation group at the church next door, the St. James Church of England next door to where I was living. And I would listen to additional teachings about how to meditate, how to think about Jesus. And so I would sit there in the chair, and I remember the directions. Feet flat on the floor, back straight, put your palms on your lap, and think about Jesus. And I would put my palms on my lap and I would close my eyes and I would be, think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. Don't think about the radiator pipes that are rattling. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. Is that a bus going by down the street? Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. What kind of bird is that tweeting out in the tree, I wonder? Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. Don't think about the lady's stomach who is growling next to you when you're in the group trying to meditate and then thinking, I wonder what she ate, had to eat. What would cause that kind of a sound? You know, no. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. So this was my meditative life. I suck at meditation. That's all I can tell you. I absolutely suck at meditation. And so when we come to passages like the one we're going to read today, I get convicted. I feel uh, somewhat like a failure. And, and maybe you have too when it comes to those kinds of experiences. So uh, we're going to 
Consider now what it means to be attentive to Jesus or be distracted away from Jesus from the next portion of the Gospel of Luke is the story of Martha and her sister Mary. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, this is a wonderful thing that Martha's doing. There were no hotels. This is not the big city of Jerusalem. This is outside a little town called Bethany. And Martha is kind enough to offer Jesus a place to come and to eat and to rest. Now, when you invited Jesus into your home, you just didn't invite Jesus, but you also invited his entourage, which was at least 12 dudes who have been walking all day and probably some other people who were following him, some of them even women. And so when you had to prepare a meal for Jesus, you were preparing a meal for maybe dozens of people. So Martha, because she's serving the Lord, she's doing a good thing, she's got a huge job on her hands, and she can't go to Trader Joe's and buy pre-prepared meals. There's no carry-out or delivered pizza. Everything that Martha has to make for these people is going to be made from scratch, including the bread that they eat that day. Because you didn't keep things in a refrigerator because there weren't any. I think they may have heard about ice, but most people probably had never seen it. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So Martha is playing hostess, and meanwhile Mary takes time out from what she would normally be doing, which is helping her sister fix food for all these people. Mary is most likely mesmerized by the fact that Jesus is in the house. It's a huge deal for her. And so Mary can't help but sit down and listen to Jesus which is totally countercultural. If there was a rabbi around, a woman did not sit down at his feet, which was the idiom of the day. To sit at a rabbi's feet meant to sit down and learn from him. And women typically did not do that. That was a man's position to sit at the feet of a teacher. A woman's place was in the kitchen. And Mary braked convention to come and sit at, the at Jesus' feet, being like a disciple. And here's the deal. If you were a disciple of a teacher, any teacher back then, you were expected to be learning so that you could teach yourself down the road. And since women weren't going to be teaching men, that was really unusual. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. 
Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. So picture with me for a minute what it might have been like to be there watching. Social convention would dictate that Martha and Mary, the sisters, would be preparing the meal for all these guests. And one of them is taking the place of a guy sitting at the feet of Jesus. And you know what things are supposed to be like, and you know something's going to happen because Mary is sitting quietly looking at Jesus with big round eyes, but Martha walks by sometimes with a frown on her face. Maybe she's walking a little heavier than normal to try and get Mary's attention, taking a pot and slamming it down on the table to see if Mary will hear getting this ladle and vigorously stirring what's in the pot so some spills out over the side. And then she's got to take a cloth and she's got to wipe it. And then she burns her hand while she's trying to wipe the side of the pot. And she gets upset and she throws it into the wash bucket, but then she misses. It's on the floor. And Mary's getting more and more upset as time goes on to the point where she can't take it anymore. She strides in to where Jesus is teaching. And she plants herself in front of the Lord and she tells him what she wants him to do. Like, excuse me, but did you notice what's going on here? I mean, in this way, Martha is as ballsy as Mary. Think about it for a minute. Mary is bucking social convention by sitting at the feet of Jesus with a room full of guys, most likely. And Mary is totally throwing decorum to the wind. <laughs> and she storms in, in some ways, bringing the attention on herself as opposed to Jesus, dishonoring her guest, and, and telling Jesus what she thinks he ought to be doing right there at that moment. The audacity is huge. And it just makes me believe that Martha and Mary were indeed sisters, they just had different gifts. But they were both high-powered women. <laughs> Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Now, what you don't probably know, and which I had to find out by study, is that in the Jewish culture, you would say someone's name twice when you were trying to be very intimate with them. When you were trying to get their attention, but in a very, very gentle way. So you would say, in this case, Martha, Martha. Now, if you do a study in Scripture, you will see that God calls people by name twice at some very key moments in their spiritual history. When Abraham, the patriarch, the father of the Jewish people, was on top of Mount Moriah ready to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar, God stopped Abraham by calling out Abraham's name twice. Abraham. Abraham. 
when Jacob, the Jewish patriarch, was about to, in his old age, take his final trip to Egypt because his family needed help from the famine and was not sure whether he should leave the promised land or not. The Lord spoke to Jacob and said his name twice, Jacob, Jacob. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is called by God through the burning bush. As he's walking by, God calls out Moses' name twice, Moses, Moses. Even Jesus, while he was on the cross, said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus said, it's possible to even use this kind of intimate language, but not really mean it in your heart. Jesus says that at the judgment, at the end of the age, when we're all lined up before him, that some people will come to him and say, Lord, Lord. But he will tell them, depart from me because I never knew you. So their lips and their hearts are not connected, even though they, they sound like they're being intimate. But Jesus has his lips and his heart fully connected. And so he is talking to Martha in a very loving way. And he's saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. The little Greek here, for Mary has chosen what is better, is Mary has chosen the good part. Which is interesting because it appears that Jesus, although he was humble, was also truthful. And he said, I'm the best part of what's going on here tonight. And Mary has chosen the good part. And it's not going to be taken away from her. This kind of reminds me of me a little bit. I certainly identify with Martha much more than I do with Mary in this story. Mary can sit and listen to Jesus for hours. And I've got to be doing things for Jesus to feel good about myself. And I don't think it's wrong that Martha is doing good things for Jesus. Jesus never tells her to stop. I mean, Jesus came to Martha and Mary's house a lot, it appears, to eat. And most likely because Martha was really good in the kitchen and as a hostess. And she had the gift of hospitality. And so Jesus goes there several times that we're aware of, even in the Gospels. So Jesus says there's nothing wrong with what Martha's doing. The problem is, is that Martha is trying to tell Jesus what Mary should be doing. And this is where I'm reminded that I'm more like Martha than I am like Mary. Because, you know, late at night I will watch those high-numbered channels on the television set, and I'll look at those TV preachers, and I will say, Lord, 
I do not understand why you let this person do this. This person is making my life difficult. As a pastor, as a preacher, as a child of God, as a representative of the kingdom, I go, this guy makes it worse, not better. Why do you let him continue like this? I'm like, Martha. So let's take a look at what's going on. If you were to crystallize the difference between Martha and Mary in this particular passage, I think he would say, very simply, that uh, Martha is distracted and that Mary is attentive. Martha is distracted and Mary is attentive. Isn't that what this passage is about? What does it mean, though, that Mary's attentive and that Martha's distracted? What's it mean to be distracted, first of all? So let's look. I'm actually going to look at a couple Greek words here. So Jesus tells Martha, he says, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. So worry. The word is merinao in Greek, and it's used elsewhere in the scriptures, and this is what it means elsewhere in the scriptures. It means to be anxious or to be solicitous. It means to expend careful thought. In other words, you are using your thought life to mull this thing over. That this thing is a concern to you, to yourself. It's something that is about you. That your thoughts are occupied by this thing. And by that I mean think military kind of lingo. Occupied, as in troops occupying a certain city. Your thoughts are being occupied, and so therefore you are worried. You have an intense interest in this thing. Like, it is huge in your sight. You can't see much else. That's what worried means. When we worry, that's what's going on. These things become larger than life. They're like smack dab in front of our faces. What Jesus says about worry is that it's a sin. Why? Because it's the opposite of faith. To be worried means that you're not sure that God's in control. If you're sure God's in control... You're not worried. If you're sure God's in control, you are not distracted. And what are you distracted from? From noticing that Jesus is in the house and that he's the most important thing. And he says that Mary is troubled or upset. The word is photobazo. And really, it's the only time it occurs in the Gospels, and it means to be troubled, to be disturbed. Why is Martha disturbed? She's disturbed because Mary is not doing what Martha wants her to do. And this is upsetting to her. It's better to be, according to Jesus, like Mary. 
Mary is breaking social convention in order to listen to Jesus. How many times have we broken social convention in order to listen to Jesus? A couple of the most obvious times, I think, are when you pull out your Bible on a break at work and start reading it. People will ask you what you're reading as a matter of course. And you say you're reading Fifty Shades of Grey, and there's a conversation that ensues. Oh, what do you think of that? What do you think of the movie? Blah, 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 blah. And do you think it's porn? Blah, blah, blah. You know, they're going back and forth. You say, oh, I'm reading the Bible, and they go, oh, that's nice, and then they leave because they don't want to talk about it. Or if you pause to pray before you eat at a restaurant, you are breaking social convention in order to listen and talk to Jesus because prayer is both ways. Prayer is talking to Jesus and listening to him respond. Now, don't get me wrong. I am all for attempting to pray in long periods of time whenever you want to in private. If you're at a restaurant, I suggest short prayers. You don't want anybody standing up in the middle of Peach Creek Town spreading out their arms and going, Oh Lord, we thank you for these gifts which we are about to consume in thy name. I mean, that's just, Jesus had a lot to say about those kind of prayers and he wasn't in favor of them. So as a rule of thumb at Scum of the Earth, I would like us to practice short prayers in public and long prayers in private. But even so, anytime you pause to pray in public, you are going against convention. You are, you are breaking the mold and talking to Jesus when nobody else thinks you ought to be talking to Jesus. Mary is doing something which I think is kind of revolutionary, at least for me. She is letting Jesus serve her before she serves him. Do you let Jesus serve you before you serve him? Jesus says, I came not to be served, but I came as a servant. I came to wash your feet. The scripture says that when we get to heaven, that Jesus himself will serve us. He will wait on us. He loves us. Service is obviously one of Jesus' love languages. I think he's got them all, but definitely service is one of them. Acts of service. And somehow we are missing the boat of the Christian life if we put service ahead of relationship with Jesus. If we think that we can outserve him. We're supposed to enjoy Jesus first and do ministry second. What is the first part of the catechism? What is the chief aim of humanity? It's to love God and to enjoy Him forever. That's the very first thing that we are created to do, is to enjoy God. And if we are off doing great things for God without enjoying Him, then we're just good deed-doers. One of the problems, I think, with the church over the ages is that it becomes a social action group for social justice, and we forget about our first love, our one true love, Jesus Christ. We forget about the gospel of salvation and what he does to bring the sinner to himself and the love relationship he wants with us in favor of feeding the poor, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, which are all great things to do. 
But if we're doing those kind of things before we're allowing Jesus to minister to us, before we are enjoying Jesus one-on-one, then we are forgetting to keep the main thing the main thing because the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. So I've been thinking and wondering, why is it so difficult for some of us to sit at the feet of Jesus and rather do something for him? Frankly, for guys like me, doing something for Jesus feels a whole lot easier than sitting down with him. And think about Jesus, think about Jesus, think about Jesus. Don't think about the woman's untied shoe in front of you. Close your eyes. Maybe it's not easier. Maybe doing things for Jesus is safer, at least for me. Because there's just no telling what Jesus might say if I'm intently listening to him. And we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. We've come through some passages where Jesus says things that are difficult to hear. If you read the Gospels in their totality, you will hear things that will change your life if you actually follow through with what Jesus says. Things like, Be generous with your money. Give it away. Give to the poor. Then come and follow me. Things like, if you don't pick up your cross and follow me, then you're not worthy of me. Things like, fill in the blank. Jesus is usually assaulting my ego, my, my self-sufficiency. He wants me to become like a little child and rely on Him, and I'd rather take care of myself for Him. I can do that. I don't need your help, Jesus. I do it myself. And so sometimes I wonder, honestly, if part of my problem and not being this contemplative type Christian is because there's a large part of me that really doesn't want to hear what Jesus has to say. Because I know it's going to involve change and hard work. And so, it's easy to uh, not read the Bible. It's easy to not spend too long in prayer. Because how else does God talk to us directly? Yes, He can talk through trusted mentors and friends, fellowship in the body. But prayer and Bible reading are pretty direct. And then another thing that I use, and I mentioned this before, in order not to sit at the feet of Jesus is because I can use the excuse that other Christians are not doing the kind of things that I think they should be doing.
I get upset about these things. When Christians aren't behaving the way that I know they should be behaving, I get angry about them. Just like Martha gets angry, upset, and worried. And normally then what I do is, I kind of do what Martha does. I go and I yell at Jesus and tell him what he should be accomplishing at the moment, given my perspective on the situation. Now, just so you know, I had a very difficult time putting together this sermon. I mean, I've read this story many times before, and I read several commentaries. I read several sermons, and I'm going, yeah, 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 Martha's too busy, and, you know, Mary's the nice one, and she's listening to Jesus, and we should listen to Jesus, and we shouldn't be so busy, and going, yeah. I was not particularly inspired. In fact, Mary's saying, so what are you talking about tomorrow? How's it going? I go, well, I I don't even think you should come, because I think it's going to be kind of uninspiring, is what I told her. But I did my homework, I did the work, uh, and so this morning I got up early, and I went into the living room, nobody's awake yet, and, uh, okay, I'm coming to you one more time, Jesus, like, help me out here, because if I'm bored, these guys are going to be bored. And it's a sin to bore people with the gospel. The gospel is the most exciting thing in the universe. The good news of Jesus Christ. And if I make it boring, then I'm doing something terribly wrong. And I remember thinking, Jesus, I just can't find myself in this story. And then Jesus spoke to me. Spirit to spirit, heart to heart. And it made the passage come alive. I finally saw myself clearly in the character of Martha. Because I'm much more a Martha than I'm a Mary. And this is what I realized. It's because Martha got angry that she finally stops fussing about in the kitchen about trying to serve Jesus and actually comes to Jesus just like her sister had a while before. And I realized, oh, that's what I do. I'm not a contemplative. I can't sit there and think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. No, but something happens that makes me upset and worried And I am all about talking to Jesus. It's amazing. My prayer life, my best prayer life, usually contains many expletives. I've told this story before. I'll tell it again about um, when I would get upset with one thing or another. I I would just, I couldn't take it. I would just storm out get in my car, which is, I live around the University of Denver area, and I would drive all the way to County Line to the Krispy Kreme, buy a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts, 
get on the freeway, drive all the way up north to Capitol Hill, find where most of the people at Scum were then living, pass out donuts to my congregation. Oh, look, our pastor's so great. He's banging his donuts late at night. Isn't this wonderful? They didn't know. I just needed an hour in the car or more to chill out and talk to Jesus. And by the time I got back to my house, okay, I've heard from Jesus. It's okay. Somewhere during the trip, I heard the words, Michael, Michael, you're upset about so many things. Let me tell you about the best part. And so Mary shows us one way to come to Jesus, which is beautiful. And I'm jealous of those people who can do that on a regular basis. But Martha shows us another way to come to Jesus. And Jesus responds with compassion, with love, with gentleness, with wisdom, with insight into her condition and what she needs to do. So let your anger about the way things ought to be but are not bring you to Jesus any time you're being a Martha-type person more than a Mary-type person. And Jesus will respond to you with intimacy. He may even call your name a couple of times and say, Justin, Justin, or Kate, Kate, or Brian, Brian, Amy, Amy, Tracy, Tracy. It'll be a deep and a wonderful experience. And you will at that point go from being distracted to being attentive. Now, communion is much more a Mary type of thing than it is a Martha type of thing. Normally, we don't come to the communion table upset or worried about many things. When we take communion, we come to the feet of Jesus looking for relationship. We are looking for communication with Jesus. We are looking to bond with him soul to soul in a communion so intimate and so deep that it changes our lives. And this is the great thing about communion. It gives us Martha types an opportunity on a regular basis to approach Jesus the way our more contemplative brothers and sisters approach him all the time. So today when you break off a piece of the bread and you dip it into the cup and you eat it, I want you to picture yourself letting Jesus serve you before you serve him. 
I want you to picture yourself enjoying His presence, His physical presence as symbolized in the bread and the cup. And let Him become part of you. Just the same way that as the bread and the juice enter into your body and go into your stomach and then get dissolved and they're sent, elements of the communion are sent via your bloodstream to every cell in your body. So every corner of your soul becomes in union with Jesus. So pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus, we come to you as sometimes unwilling disciples. And we ask that today, as we participate in remembering what you did for us on the cross through communion, we ask that we receive what we need that we learn from you, that we have sweet fellowship, soul to soul, because that's the good part, Jesus. The good part is being with you both now and forevermore. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.